Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Charlie. Um, this is uh, uh, my favorite time of the year. Pretty much is the fall in general, but moving up to Christmas time. I love Christmas, and so uh, I've been enjoying that we're talking about Advent. But I think it's unique that normally, normally we're covering a book of the Bible and walking through it, but we've chosen. Uh, for a, a few weeks to take some hymns and uh, go to the Word and say, where, where do these hymns kind of come from? Where, where, where do we get some of the songs that we sing? Why do we sing them? And today there might be a song that we sing later on that, this, that we've, we've archi- you know, did some architecture around this hymn looking at the Word that many of you maybe have not even heard before. And it's what Charlie was saying. It's called, O Come You Unfaithful. And so, but I think all of us have heard, O Come All Ye Faithful. And so, uh, let's just jump right in. Um, Before we get started, you can go ahead and open your Bible to Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Uh, Open your device up, whatever you have, and we will get there here shortly. Um, But again, O come all ye faithful, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, let's go to Bethlehem. I mean, what what a call at the time. Those that can come before Christ, so to speak. I'm taking the song, the, the hymn out of context a little bit, but it seems like if I can come see Jesus, I need to be joyful and I need to be triumphant. And that probably wasn't many people of the day. Feeling joyful. Oh, I just have so much joy in my life. I can come sit before the feet of Jesus. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Or I feel very triumphant. I've been having many victories in life. Come to Bethlehem. Come, faithful ones. What a call. What a call within a song that seems like, okay, I think I know what the writer's saying. I think I know what's going on. But man, am I faithful? Am I joyful? Am I triumphant? Uh, Many of us today would say uh, that doesn't necessarily mark the way I feel or the way I live when I think about being faithful. Am I a faithful man? Am I a faithful woman? Why is this even important? But we are going to sing the song later, O Come All You Unfaithful. So when you think of faithfulness, what do you think of? Who do you think of? There are certain things that you think, okay, faithfulness, this topic of life, faithfulness needs to be a part of this. This relationship, faithfulness needs to be a part of this. There needs to be some loyalty. There needs to be steadfast commitment. There needs to be steadfast affection and allegiance within this relationship. There needs to be faithfulness. I'm not necessarily asking you, who do you think about when you think about the word unfaithful, but by me not even asking, 
you're thinking about it. So when you think about faithful people and things to be faithful with, it, it conjures up a certain thought, feeling okay, maybe a duty, maybe, maybe even a joy that you've seen. Man, my dad, he was so faithful. You know, my, my football coach, he was faithful to the game, to the team, whatever it is. But when you think about unfaithfulness, there's a different emotion that comes over us. Whether it's, man, I wasn't faithful in this relationship. Man, I wasn't faithful to do this task. It's like, eh, it burdens us. It hits us in a different place. I've had the privilege of walking a few people, even in this room, through premarital counseling. And the marriage, the marriage covenant, being married together, being faithful to one another, that is a humongous calling that God calls us to. It's a beautiful calling, but it's a tough calling. Some would even venture to say, it seems almost impossible. How can I be faithful? And so even yesterday I was talking with this couple and uh, they were telling me, they were telling me about some vows that they, they had gone to a wedding last weekend down in Maryville. And they said, you know, the, the uh, well, I won't say who was doing the ceremony, but they said, you know, the, the, the call, the vows that they repeated to one another, it just struck us as, meh, not really this, this covenant towards one another. It was just really general. And, I, and I, it was one of those laughing where I'm, I hate it, but it's like, yeah, that's the world we live in where one of the greatest callings outside of our walk with Christ to, to covenant relationship with someone else in marriage has been put on this level of faithfulness really doesn't matter, although you're going you're gonna to feel it if somebody's, not a, if somebody's unfaithful. So I thought, you know, what would some marriage vows look like that could, could just sound like, meh, and it's sometimes maybe the way that we live as husband and wives. Now, I'm not going to do this with every type of relationship, but, but listen to this. Let's imagine that the dude, he's saying, you know what? We're going to write our own vows to one another, and we're going to speak these to one another. And, and this is the guy. He gets up. He's looking at his, his soon-to-be bride, and he says this. He says, you know, you're pretty cool. Man, if this worked out. I'd be one happy guy. I'm planning on serving you well, you know, as long as everything goes smoothly. You can bet on that. At least until we split up, I'll, I'll be there for you. Or until one of us dies. You know, as we've previously discussed outside of my job, my time with my mommy, and A-League softball commitments, you're my ride or die. Man, I'm so pumped. Go us. Hey, is this where I can kiss her? Now we laugh. We laugh. I laugh. But it's like it, when we're, this call to faithfulness, this call to faithfulness, we've been lulled. Even sometimes within our Christian community, we've been lulled into this. Eh, faithfulness really doesn't matter on your part doesn't really matter that much, but it does. It does. It matters a lot. 
Now we're going to get into how this matters, why this matters, and how we can be faithful, but it matters. Think about being a mom or a dad. There's a lot of mom and dads out here. Just the faithfulness to, to raise your children, to love them well, to provide well for them, to be there for them. Faithfulness with your friends, with teammates, with sports teams, even, even in just the way you view the country you live in, the way you view politics. Sometimes the, what we're faithful to, who we're faithful with, says a lot about you. How you interact with people says a lot. And yes, your faithfulness, if you're a believer, your faithfulness to the Lord does it matter? Does it matter? It does. I believe this. I believe that deep down, we want to be faithful. We really do. I know you do. But I would say even deeper, I don't care who you are, even deeper, you want other people to be faithful to you. We're a little okay with how eh, we are, But man, if you aren't faithful to me, if you don't help me, it's going to rock my world. Faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. Your faithfulness matters. Being faithful to other people, it matters. So let's look look at this verse, these verses in Colossians 1, chapter 1, 24 through 29. This is a call to faithfulness, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I feel like it's a pretty impossible call, but it, it is a call to faithfulness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So here in Colossians, it is this call. It is this call towards faithfulness. It's part of this, it's part of the passage, a call to faithfulness. Now Paul's talking about the stewardship that was given to him. He was given this stewardship to do all these things, but not just for himself, but to do this for other people. So it's this call to be faithful to other people. But he's been called to do something. He's been called to make the word of God fully known. (laughs) Hey, Paul, with these people in your life, it's your job to go make the word of God fully known to them. If you think about that, it's like, if I'm thinking about, I need to, as a believer, make the word of God fully known to other people. It's like, man, I don't even, I don't even know the full word of God. 
How am I going to make the Word of God fully known to other people? How am I going to do that? But then closer to the bottom, you see that Paul is saying this. He says, we are to proclaim this news. So, okay, it's a call to proclaim. You need to be telling people about Jesus. You need to be telling the lost about Christ. You need to be, you need to be reminding the found about Christ. We are to continually be proclaiming. We're to warn everyone. You're to warn everyone of the dangers of not seeing Christ, knowing Christ, the dangers of not being forgiven of your sins, the dangers of not trusting in Christ. You're to warn everyone. Wow, that's tough. I feel like I can't even tell somebody, hey, I feel like you need to work on this area of your life. Like that, (laughs) in 2022, to even give a little bit of a nudge towards any kind of you need to change this, I think. I think you need to, hey, I heard you kind of talking to your wife the other day. That was kind of rough. You kind of have this edge to you. It's like, man, you don't know my life. Who are you? But to warn somebody of the dangers of, of, of not knowing Christ and the dangers of hell, separation from God, man, that's a, ooh, good giggly. In 2022, really? Seems like an impossible task. And then this word, everyone. Like, really, everyone? But I'm not only to proclaim, I'm not only to warn, and when I say I, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about teachers and preachers. I'm talking about believers. We're called to do this. But we're to do this with all wisdom. With all wisdom. Okay, whoa. That's tough. And then we are to present everyone, all the believers within our lives, that we're a part of their lives. We're to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay. So how can we be faithful to such a call when even if I'm thinking about being faithful in a sense to my own walk with Jesus, it's like, man, I don't even do this for me. This isn't even happening for me. How am I to even be a part of this for other people? What in the world is going on? Well, part of this we're going to see is in verse 26. It has everything to do with this veiled mystery that has been unveiled. This veiled mystery that has been unveiled. The mystery hidden for all ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. So we have been learning about that Christ has come into the world. Now this is part of the mystery. The Old Testament, the Old Testament, one, one writer, one preacher speaks of the Old Testament of being, being summarized as promises made. Promises made. There's all of these promises made that salvation will come. One will come to save But who will come? How will they come? What will they do? And why exactly are they coming? We know it has something to do with life is messed up. We're sinners. We know we balled it up in the garden. We went our own way. 
We, we, desi- we decided to not look to the faithful creator of the world, and we decided to say, we want to be faithful to our own standards. We want to recreate some standards. We get it that we failed, and, and we know that there's some kind of salvation, but what, who, when, where, and why exactly, and how is this going to all work out? There's these promises made, but it's mysterious. It's mysterious. When you think of mystery, a lot of times we think of Sherlock Holmes. Like something has happened. There's been a murder. And, and Sherlock walks into, the, he walks into the room. And one thing we like about Sherlock is his, he's so brilliant. He figures out the mystery just by looking at this. Oh, that teacup was turned this way at this time of day. Teacups are never turned that way. Therefore, it was Mr. Peacock with the candlestick. It's like, how do you do this? It's a, more of a puzzle. So it's not really that type of mystery. The Old Testament is, is a little bit of that, but it's a lot about a secret. It's a secret. God knows what's going on. Angels are longing to look into what is what is he going to do? And even when Christ was on earth, angels are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing? Let us go and get him off the cross, Lord. What is going on? Angels don't even know what is going on. But the Old Testament, there's promises are made. And maybe, maybe Sherlock is too old for some of y'all in the room. I'm looking at some of us. We know Sherlock Holmes. So blues clues, okay? Blues clues. You can figure it out. You walk into a sentence and you figure out the verbs. Whatever Blue's Clues did with Steve. It's, again, it's more of a puzzle. It's more of just kind of figuring out, looking at the clues. It's a little bit of that, but it's still not that. It's more of a secret. We're kind of accustomed to this type of not knowing, the unveiling. Now, raise your hand if you remember the first iPhone. It's like, okay, this kind of does a little bit change everything. Steve Jobs is like, this is going to change everything. The second iPhone comes out, the unveiling. Woo! I mean, we're like, man, that changed a lot of things again. It's really not very mysterious anymore. There's really not many secrets that we really honestly care about anymore. You know, it seems like you unveil the new iPhone or Android, whatever your choice of, of, of phone is and addiction and all that to our, to our screens. But it's like they unveil the iPhone now and it's like, you can do a Memoji that does this. It's like, you know, cringy, as my kids would say. Dad, never send that one. It's like this is not, we're not wowed. We're not wowed anymore. The new secrets, it's like, oh, you can now get weather uh, for Knoxville, um, sent directly to your watch, and we've made it now that your, your AirPod will beep. It's like, cool. But it's just not, it's not as cool. The intrigue is not there as much. Now, we're on this side of the mystery, and sometimes we look at the gospel like that a little bit. The, the secret has been open, and we're going to get to that. The secret's been revealed. The mystery has been proclaimed to us. But sometimes we're like, meh, that's just not, 
mm, it's not doing anything for me. Like, you know, what, what cool tricks do you have for me now, Jesus? What's new? What's new? What's new? But again, the Old Testament promises made, those iPhone reveals. And then I, I don't know how many of you keep up with football, college football, this or that, but Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders this week, he's letting everybody know he's going to Colorado. He's going to Colorado. Now, I like Deion Sanders. He was a baseball player for my Atlanta Braves and Atlanta Falcons. I grew up in the Atlanta area. So when I was a kid in high school, you know, and we would be in our youth group and we would pray for people. We would pray, Lord, would you, and we know Deion might have been a Christian. We had no idea, but Lord, would you, would you save Deion Sanders? If you save Deion Sanders with that personality, you'll reach the world. And we believe that about Deion. He just, he's got this charisma about him. And he can play. He can play baseball. He can play football. He was the man, Neon Dion. We loved Deion Sanders. Well, Deion Sanders, there's controversy. However you want to look at it, that's not what I'm getting into this morning. But he shows up at the University of Colorado. He shows up in the locker room, his new team that he's about to be the coach of, and he's sitting and he's speaking to his new team. And they're wondering, what's this going to be like? Someone's coming. What's it going to be like? Dion says this. He says a whole lot, but this is something he says to the, to the team. He says, guys, after we get finished with this work, I just want you to know, well, after we get finished with, with this work, I just want you to know, we're on the way. Not to compete, but to win. Not to show up, but to show out. Not to be among the rest, but to be the absolute best. We're coming to work. We're not coming to play. We're coming to kill, not to kick it. Baby, I got to believe we're coming. You got to feel it in the energy inside of you that we're coming, don't you? You got to feel that we're on, you got to feel it that we're going to be there. You got to feel it that when you get in that stadium, you better get in there early because the time to kick off consumes, baby. We're coming. Do you understand that? Do you feel that? Do you understand the intensity, the excitement, and the adrenaline, and the rush that I got right now? I can't wait until things kick off because we're coming. Boulder, Colorado, you have no idea what you're blessing me with, the opportunity that you're giving me, and I feel like I owe you. So every day, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to strengthen for you. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to do things that others wouldn't do. Baby, we're coming. So if anybody asks you something about when is he coming back, you just say, I don't know. But we know he's coming. Okay, Dion's coming to Colorado. <laughs> but man, if I was a player, I'd be really scared on that team. Like, man, is he going to keep me on this team? But one thing I would be sure of, dude, this coach is coming. This coach is coming. He's got all this credibility. He's got a whole lot of the right or wrong arrogance. I don't know what it is, but he's got a lot. And, but one thing that he's sure of is that he's coming, he's going to turn this team around, and we're going to win. But there still is this, but, but what's going to happen? <laughs> what's going to happen? The Old Testament the Lord is saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. And there's going to be a winning. There's going to be a winning. 
and it's going to be sure. It's going to be definite. And you're not going to understand the way in which I come. But I'm coming. And Christmas, we see it, that Christ did come into this world to give us life. So again, iPhone reveals, blue clues, Deion Sanders, there's a sense of what is it going to be like? What's the mystery? What's here? But the Old Testament, there was a, there was a veiled secret where a, just little bits of the secret were released through the Old Testament of this longing, this looking forward. The New Testament, in summary, is promises kept. Old Testament, promises have been made, but here it is. Promises are kept. It's sure. It's going to happen. It did happen. So Christ comes to us in the New Testament. But Christ doesn't just come to us. He comes for us. Christ lives in our place. Christ dies in our place. Christ raises for us from the dead. He defeats sin and death in our place. Things that we couldn't do. We cannot defeat sin. We cannot defeat death. So this is the mystery being revealed. Yes, but it's even more than that. It's more than Christ just coming. This mystery specifically is Christ is saying through Paul in this passage, I didn't just come for my people, the Israelites. I came for my people, humanity. I came for my creation. I came for the Gentiles also. So that was a bigger mystery being revealed. Okay, we thought it was just for us, but it's for it's for all of us. It's for the Gentiles. So that's a big part of this mystery being revealed. But it's even more. It's even more. Look at, uh, look at verse 20, 27, I think it is. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, this is the mystery that no one ever assumed would happen. That not only the creator of the world would come into this world and really how he would forgive us of our sins. There was a hint of our sins will be forgiven, Isaiah 53. Don't know how it's going to happen. But Jesus comes and does this, but even bigger that he comes to live within us, that Christ is in us. This is something that people couldn't see. They couldn't see. And it's something that as believers, we often still don't see. But Christ is in you. If you're a believer, Christ is in you. Colossians 3, 3 through 4. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. So your life is hidden with Christ in God. So not only is Christ in you, you are in Christ. In your life, you are, Christ is in you, 
but you're hidden within Christ. Christ is hidden within the Trinity. In the Trinity, you are in a safe, secure, whole place. You are surrounded by faithfulness. You are surrounded and taken care of by the faithful one. He is in you. You are in him. Christ comes to live with us, to live in us. Christ comes to live for us, comes to live in us, comes to live through us. This call, this call in Colossians to, to present everyone mature in Christ, it's only because Christ is within us. That as a body, we get to be a part of doing that together. Christ in you, as you speak to this this guy. Christ in me as I speak to that same guy. The preaching, the calm groups, the, the Bible studies, on and on. As a family, as a community of believers, we proclaim the gospel to Knoxville. We warn people together, but it's Christ in us. So to us, for us, in us, with us, through us. The mystery has been revealed. Christ has come. For the believer, Christ lives in you. The one who took part in creating the universe lives in you, Christ in you. The only one who is supreme and worthy to open the scroll, as we talked about last week, that Christ lives in you. The one who walked on water lives in you, Christ in you. The one who healed the blind lives in you, Christ in you. The one who defeated sin, death, and the devil lives in you, Christ in you. The faithful one who lives in us, the unfaithful ones. Christ is in us. We are to have hope. We have hope in Christ. But how can we be faithful? How can we be faithful? So, in Homer's Odyssey, there are these sirens or sirens, however you want to word it. But it's these, I don't know exactly what they are. It's, it's Greek mythology. I don't know if it's, they're, they're half women, half fish, mermaids, if you would. Beautiful. They can sing these songs that when you hear these songs, you are... You were lulled in. You were allured into being close to these. You go to the shore and you sit there and you listen to these songs as they're singing and they come closer and closer and you love this song and then they pounce on you and destroy you and you're dead. What a beautiful song and what a tragic ending. And so you had in Homer's Odyssey... You've got Odysseus who says, you know what, I want to hear this song. I've been hearing about this song. I want to hear them singing this song. But crew, this is what you got to do. you got to tie me up to the mast. Tie me up because I want to hear this song. It's a beautiful song I hear. But I know what happens. We, we've seen what happens. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to tie me up to the mast. And you're going to take this wax. You're going to put it all in your ears so you can't hear it. You can't hear it, but I'm going to hear it. And when we get close, no matter what I say to you, do not untie me. They make it through. All's well. 
He's hearing the song. He's like, untie me. They're like, I don't know what you're saying. I can't hear the song either. I didn't even know they're singing. They make it through. But then you also have, uh, you, you have a whole nother story of the Argonauts. They're like, okay, in a sense, we, we, we've heard about this story, if you would. We know about this song, but we've got this guy, Odysseus, who knows how to play and sing. Beautiful music. There's no way there's a better song out there. And so instead of tie me to the mast, do this or that, when they start hearing the music play, they say, Odysseus, play. Odysseus, sing. And they make it through. It's a better song. It's a more beautiful song. While both of the ships make it through, one of these, one of these, in a sense, it's this, it's this grip on the hands. Don't, don't let me go. Don't let in the hands and the feet. But this other story, this other song, it's, it's, a, it's the heart. It's this song that, that gets to the heart and lets my hands relax, lets my feet relax. And the gospel of Christ is the better song that we need to hear. It's the better song that we need to hear. And it's the song of Christ, Christ in us, that helps us to be faithful hearing his song. So it's still somewhat confusing. But how can I be faithful? So Rankin Wilborn in his book, he's got a book called Union with Christ. I highly suggest it. He speaks of two volume knobs. One volume knob is the volume of the gospel of grace. Turn up the volume of grace. We, and we have to turn up the volume of what Christ has done. Everything that we're talking about. Christ coming to, to live for us, to live in our place, to die in our place. He rose from the dead. Christ, look to his gospel. Look at who he is. Believe the gospel more. Turn that up in full. Jesus saves. Jesus is good. Jesus is my all in all. Turn it up to the full. But often, unintentionally, what we do is we, in a sense, turn down another volume. We turn down another uh, knob on certain verses that just kind of don't make sense sometimes when we just say, grace, grace, because it is grace, grace. But if you're only hearing all the time just, ah, he forgives me, ah, he loves me, it's true. But sometimes we turn the volume knob down on certain things. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Okay, how does that volume knob of grace, grace speak to that? It does, but how? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, I've got to keep some commandments? I thought that was so old T. Keep commandments when the world not? Nah. Jesus keeps the commandments. He did that. Well, absolutely. He did. But he's still telling you, keep my commandments. So what? what? John 15, 14. He's speaking to friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Oh, goodness. What? what? Let's turn that down. What's going on here? 
This doesn't sound like the full knob of grace. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Man, it sounds like you're hitting at a lot of works, Mark. But we edit Jesus. We edit Jesus. We're trying to take a beautiful doctrine and edit Christ. And Christ won't have it. The Lord won't have it. Because there is another knob. And the knob is obey. Be faithful. It is there. It's all through the scriptures. But we know that we can't. That's why you had to come. So why are you... It's the mystery has been unveiled. It is Christ in you. Christ in you is how you can strive towards faithfulness. The danger in both of these knobs, just look to grace. It's, it's me looking to my belief system only, but not looking to Jesus that is within me. Obeying, I'm only looking to my works, but not to Jesus that is within me. We are to turn both volume knobs all the way up because Christ is in us. When he says obey, we are to say, yes, Lord, but how? You know You know I don't know how to do this. Give me the strength to obey. So look at the end of this passage in verse 29. We're going to conclude here. That this mystery being unveiled, Christ in you, it is something for us. The secret has been let out, but it's still, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? But Paul says this, for this I toil, all of these things. He says it's hard. He says in the beginning of this passage, I suffer. This is tough. How do we do this? He says, for this I toil, struggling to do these things. But he says this, with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. That's the key. That's the key to this. Christ in you. It's his power within you that allows you to really see the gift of grace, to really see the gospel, to hear the gospel, to even believe the gospel. And it's Christ in you, his strength that is working mightily to turn the volume up, to say, I will do things through you. You can do so many things. You can do all things through me in you as I strengthen you. He calls us to a faithfulness that he himself will work in you and through you. But faithfulness requires for us to hear the better song, to hear his song, to hear his doctrine of beautiful grace in his his call to a life of faithfulness and how it all lands in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Even in this passage, It says, filling up the afflictions, what was lacking, what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. And it's it's not mysterious, but it's confusing. But one thing we do know is there was nothing lacking in the life that Christ lived. He lived the perfect life in our place, the perfect substitute. There was nothing lacking on the cross because Jesus said, to telestai, it is finished. I've done it. 
and there was nothing lacking in him rising up from the dead. He's fully alive. He's fully sitting at the right hand of God. And if you are in Christ, if you are saved, there's nothing lacking. He gives you all the riches of glory, and you will be with him in glory. There's nothing lacking in that. I like to lean into the thought that many scholars think what is lacking is the proclamation of this beautiful, wonderful doctrine to a lost world. Talking about the sufferings, the afflictions of Christ, and even possibly what might be lacking is even that as I go and strive to be faithful in this world, I will also suffer. I will experience the sufferings of Christ. So what are the things you feel like the Lord is calling you to be faithful in? Are you, are you only kind of looking at the words on the page of, of doctrine about grace? Or are you looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? And are you also saying, I don't really need to be faithful because I can't be? Look to Christ. Study the scriptures. Know that Christ is in you. And we bring our unfaithfulness to the Lord. Day in, day out, we confess our sins to him who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We are to bring at the end of it all, when we are before the throne, laying our crowns down. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is like. But it's going to be, Lord, I lay this crown down. You did this in me. You did this through me. But wow, what a privilege it was that you called me to be a part of your kingdom work. Forgive me for, for not obeying. You already have. See you face to face. All is good. I will never struggle again. Once we see Christ face to face, there will no longer be any unfaithfulness within us. Because his song, in a sense, destroys destroys all ability to be unfaithful anymore. Jesus' song builds. Jesus' song completes. Jesus' song is a song that gives us hope. So the worship team can start coming up. I'm going uh, to read this poem. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm more like a, a Dr. Seuss when I write poems, so bear with me. But when I read through this passage, I thought, this, this really speaks to me. It's this, it's this how, do I, how do I see Christ in me, this call to be faithful, but yet he is the faithful one. But he calls me to be faithful. This is tough. So I'm going to read this, and I hope, I hope this can be encouraging to you. Not just forgiven of sin, but dwelt within. Called to go, called to show, called to let the whole world know. The invitation of the Trinity, unveiling the hidden mystery, Christ in you, through and through. For this we labor in all his might, bringing slaves out of darkness into his light. We taste the pain in his name, for his fame, counting all loss for their gain. But Christ in us, joy is here. The chains are gone, crushing fear. By his wounds we are healed. In our place he was killed. 
With joy he endured the cross, despising its shame. And he calls us to suffer for them, in him, for his name.